For his side hustle, this week's guest didn't start from scratch. Instead, he bought a business that was already profitable, and then he went out and tripled the revenue in his first year, all while working a full-time job. What's up, what's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to The Side Hustle Show, because building extra income streams is just plain fun. This week, you'll meet Jono Santamaria from Melbourne, Australia. By day, he works in digital marketing, but as a side hustle, as of about 18 months ago, he's the proud owner of Nina's Laundrette, a small, local, self-service laundromat. Stick around in this one to hear how he found and vetted the business and the quick win actions he took to multiply the revenue. Ready? Let's do it. I want to choose how much of my time I give to people for money by the time I'm 40. Uh, That's my investment goal. So I based my strategy around looking for a business around that. And I was able to form a criteria that met what I'm currently doing. So it needed to be relatively hands-off. It needed to be non-consolidated. I didn't want to be competing with big box companies. And I needed to be able to add value uh, through technology and my skills. And a laundromat really fit that bill. Interesting. How many years do you have left before uh, before 40, before the timeline is up here? I'm 31 and a half. So I've got a fair chunk of time to go. For me, that, that milestone birthday just hit earlier this year. So I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's, that, that's why I asked. Congratulations. I don't know if it's a congratulation. People would be like, hey, happy birthday. Congrats. Like, oh, it's a big one. I don't know if I want to talk about it. Okay. So that's a great goal. I want to make work optional by the time I'm 40 through a variety of different investments and you know time leveraged cash flows and uh, a laundromat kind of checked that box like well here's something that you mentioned is relatively hands-off we'll talk about i mean it's a you know money-making machine the machines do the work for you in a lot of ways but you know there's maintenance involved all that jab where can i add value and we'll talk about the unique skill sets that you brought to the table where maybe this was somewhat of an undervalued asset and then the third element that you mentioned was it had to be you know, somewhat of a fragmented market. I don't want to compete with national brands. I don't want to compete with, you know, big box uh, conglomerates, right? And so I thought that was uh, an interesting element as well. So you you decide, yes, a laundromat is it. This is going to be my next side hustle experiment. What happens next? How do you just, you happen to find one that's not too far away from you is my understanding. Yeah, I was really lucky. I basically was strolling through TikTok and that led to Googling how to buy a laundromat, where to buy a laundromat. Uh, and one of the first ones that sort of popped up on an aggregator site that I was looking at was in Northcote, which is not too far from where I live. And it was seemed to be in the right price range. And I started to look into how do you actually buy a business uh, started reaching out to friends, you know, reached out to the actual ad to ask about the business and the process. And uh, yeah, got started from there. So in the States, it would be sites like uh, Biz Buy Sell and stuff like that. Is it similar in Australia? Yeah, we have a website called, I think it's called Business Sales or Seek Business, maybe. Okay. Um, so that that's one of the aggregator sites, but there are many. There are probably like five or six, and they all have the same ads. Okay, so you can look up you know businesses for sale near me and see what pops up. What so the, and these are typically valued on a multiple of annual net income. I I understand, and so I was like, well, how much does something like this cost? If you're comfortable sharing, yeah. So uh, mine cost eighty three thousand is what I paid. It had four years left on the lease, so yeah. I, I mean, it works out to about. Two year, a two year multiple 
based on that. But yeah, it can range. I imagine that there would be other laundromat businesses that were performing much better than the one that I bought that had longer leases that would probably be selling on a larger multiple. So you'd prefer to have more years left on that lease because when that expires, that's kind of a, a wild card if you're going to be able to renew, if you're going to be able to renew at favorable terms. Uh, more that it's a bit harder to move a laundromat than it is another brick and mortar store. You know, if you sell shoes and your lease runs out, then you can rent the shop next door and just move your shoe boxes into the storeroom. If you have a laundromat and your lease runs out, you've got 20 odd washing machines and dryers, but you can't just cut them next door and put them in the ground. You need plumbing and, and that sort of stuff. The security of a lease is, is is kind of important in a laundromat deal. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. So if it if it's expiring in six months to a year, like uh, that kind of makes you a little bit nervous. You want to have maybe that's part of the due diligence is reaching out to the landlord and saying like, hey, what's the what's the relationship like? What's the situation here going to be uh, going forward? If they would be forthcoming with that information, I think so. I think also the first deal is always going to be the hardest because. I know that I'll, I'll look for a second deal and I've got runs on the board when it comes to running a laundromat. So if the current owner you know, isn't invested or isn't running the business well, I can come in and say, well, look, I've got this place in Northgate. I've been running it for two years. Here's what I've been able to do in that time and give them the confidence to sort of say, all right, well, he's going to be a good tenant. There are law in Australia, at least, there are laws that protect you. So if you buy a business, the landlord can't reject you outright. They need to have a valid reason. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So the sticker price is eighty-three grand, which represents a roughly two-year multiple on the income from the business. So let's call it forty grand a year. These are uh, Australian dollars, for sake of reference. Yeah. Okay. So at press time, seventy cents to to USD, roughly. So just you know, to get a sense of what we're working with here, what might be available locally, if you do go down this path for your own side hustle, what happens next in terms of due diligence? Like, how do you verify the books? Like a lot of it is cash or quarters in the machine, right? Or, you know, how do you figure out, is is it really making what the guy says it is? Yeah. So I sort of cowboyed that one. I sat in the store and uh, for, you know, three or four hours at a time, counted how many customers came in, counted how much they spent on the machine. And we did it different times of the day over like a two week period. And then a friend of mine and I sort of worked off a number that we generated based on that usage and then extrapolated that over 12 months. And that was our estimate at what he was making. Okay. And so you arrived. So like, yeah, these, based on what we're witnessing firsthand, these seem reasonable. It seems like it'll add up. Yeah. It wasn't what he had. We were just like, well, based on our observations, this is what we assume they are making and then we work backwards to say, well, this is what we assume that we would generate if we made X, Y, and Z improvements. Like if this is the bottom, if this is our bottom, this is based on the business how it's currently running now, we would make this improvement, this improvement, this improvement, and it would generate yeah. plus 10, plus 20 based on our assumptions. Okay. And did that adjust? Did you bring that to the negotiation table? No, not really. Honestly, we, we um, put in an offer based on what we thought was a fair price. I actually sort of undershot and we got it first go. It was a, it's, a, it's a very unique process. I don't think this would have happened for many people. Okay. Yeah, it's, I, I've, I've never bought a business and I've only sold one. So it's always curious to you. Well, 
you know, what, what gave you the confidence to plunk down that kind of cash? And was it, uh, does it have to be a cash deal? Is there financing programs? So mine was 20,000 of my own money and the rest was a bank loan. And that bank loan was anchored by uh, an ex- equity in an existing property. But it's, I mean, 70 or $80,000 isn't unattainable. I I'd, would always stress that if you can get the right terms on a loan, use the bank's money. Because if we look at like 12 months down the track, I've put 20,000 of my own money into this business and 75,000 of the banks, but everything since has been bought and paid for by the business, not by my, like the bank of Jono. Okay. So you're, you mean by that, I mean, you're, you're paying for the improvements with the cash flow from the business rather. Okay. Correct. Gotcha. Okay. So you say, Hey, I think these numbers are going to add up. I think we can make these improvements. Was there anything else that attracted you to the business aside from, it seems like a reasonable price point. It seems like an honest seller. It seems like, you know, we've got several years left on the lease. What else gave you the confidence to, to go for it and pull the trigger? Uh, it really comes down back to that investing why around I want to be able to choose how much of my time I give to other people for money. And that helped me set this really strong criteria. So the that that was really it. It, it met the criteria. It was really conveniently located and at the right, right price point. So we had to go. Yeah, and so here's something that is already generating cash flow. Customers already know about it. Hopefully it's part of their weekly or monthly routine to come in and use the place. So it's relatively predictable. I imagine, I imagine there may be some seasonality to it, but it's not, it, you got to spend some money up front, but it's not not likely to go to zero the next day. So let's say you get the keys to the place and you know, what happens next? Like, are you surprised by, you know, what happens in the first few months or, you know, is it, or does it work out kind of how you expected? I was surprised to learn that his numbers were pretty honest. So, you know, what he was reporting his tax return and, and the first three months of operations was near enough to what uh, he was saying the business was doing. I went about making improvements straight away. So one of the things that really stood out to me was that it was a cash-only coin-operated laundromat. There wasn't any pay pass options. And in Australia, it just doesn't fly not having pay pass or you know, cashless card payments as an option. So we ha- I actually organized that to be installed during the due diligence process. And um, that made an impact almost straight away because people were happy to you know come in, not have to you know, break a note or go to an ATM, they can just tap their card. And it took a bit of learning from the customers. But once a few customers knew how to do it, they started teaching other customers and we got the right signage in. And that was probably the big, one of the biggest improvements. Uh, the second one was building a website. So again, is an elderly gentleman who used to own the place, wasn't interested in marketing, didn't know much about the internet. So it didn't actually have a website and it had a... You know, resident generated Google my business page. It didn't even have the right business name on it. So yeah, that was the second thing that I did, and it made a huge difference straight away. This is uh, Nina's Laundry dot com dot au. If you want to go check out what a, a local laundromat website might look like, so just and that was something too during the due diligence to say, well, there's not a lot of online presence here. Maybe there's an opportunity to 
increase just the people who know about the store. Like if we could increase market share of people coming by and they come and Google us or they look for a laundromat near me, maybe they're going to be more likely to find this than they were before. Yeah, for sure. Um, that really helped. I think the other thing was uh, I mentioned before adding uh, technology or value through adding technology in my skill set. I work in marketing automation. That's my my job, my day job. I'm a sort of generalist digital marketer as well. So one of the things that I really noticed was that laundromats don't really have a high bar of expectation. So people who come in and use a laundromat, they expect to the place to be somewhat clean and their machines to work. So if if you put coins in a machine or you pay for a machine that doesn't work, you have a lot of anxiety because there's no one there to help you or in, in, in a self-service laundromat. So one of the first things we did is we added uh, cameras with a speaker in them and added QR codes to all the machines that basically said if you're having an experience that's not the one that you want to, you know, if the machine leaks, if there's a uh, payment issue, scan this, fill out the form uh, and we'll help you out. And the cool thing about that is the form comes straight to my phone via email. If I'm available, I'll get onto it straight away and I can either turn the cameras on and speak to the customer directly through the camera and talk them to a Oh, wow. This is like through a a ring cam or something like that? Yeah, yeah. Google Nest. Or I can call them or email them and just give them that reassurance that, hey, sorry, the machine didn't work the way it was. Happy to give you a refund. If you can provide a little more information about what's going on, we can troubleshoot from our side. And that just leaves a much better customer experience that 99% of laundromats aren't going to offer. And they're not going to offer. So there was some additional infrastructure investments, first with this adding the cashless payment systems, and then this technology layer of like, you know, the cameras and the customer support that maybe wasn't there before. I want to go back to the cashless payment things. It sounds like, is this a matter of retrofitting the machines? Is this like just a, you know, load a prepaid card at some kiosk at the in the entryway trying to get a picture of yeah we have a third party company that will install a kiosk there's a touchscreen pad and then they have chips uh that i'm assuming run off some sort of radio waves that are added to each machine and will load up or pulse the coin mechanism when people pay so you touch the screen you select i want to wash uh, you can choose as many washes to add to the payment as you want. And then you hit pay, tap your card, and then the machine will pulse the machines that you've chosen to use. Same with the dryers. How many machines are in there? I have 12. It seems like 12 commercial washers could be a big chunk of the purchase price just in equipment. Yeah, I think so. And also infrastructure. So I've looked at other deals. Recently, uh, I looked at one for about $200,000 and it was only two years old. So the machines probably would have cost that much or a little bit more. But then there's also the infrastructure to connect to sewerage and they had cameras in there already and things like that. So the the purchase price actually seemed quite reasonable when you think about it. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that you're not having to do in addition to just like the zero to one, like getting a business to lift off. But you know, there's a lot of stuff that comes with it just as a you know, as a way to protect yourself, where it's like, well, if even if it fails, like I still have now this asset that I, you know, or these these machines as assets. It's a unique time in Australia too, because a lot of the or all of the washing equipment is made overseas. A lot of it in the states, and obviously with the global supply chain, 
issues, there's a long time for machines to get here. So there's even more of a premium almost on buying a, a setup store because those machines are already here and you don't have to wait. So having it automated, I want to get into like the you know automation of the store, like not having somebody required to be sitting there on staff for customer support and troubleshooting and stuff. But as far as the machines and their maintenance, what does that look like workload for you? I, you know, I'm I'm working my marketing job 40 hours a week, 50 hours a week. And like if something breaks, like, you know, or do you have the expertise to go in and troubleshoot the stuff yourself? You're calling the repair guy. Just, uh, you know, give me a sense of the, the uh, longevity or bulletproofness of these types of machines. Like what what's required on a, on a daily or weekly basis? Sure. Well, um, according to the manufacturers, the shelf life's about seven years, but I can safely say that it's well beyond that. Those These machines are, I mean, I've got machines in there. We are getting rid of them, but they're 40 years old. And they're oh my gosh. Okay. The newer machines, obviously, they all run fine. Like Occasionally, you might have an issue where something gets stuck in the door and a washer will flood, but that's not a break. That's just a, a user error and you come and mop it up. The dryers do have sometimes issues with things getting stuck in the filter or a part might break, but Dexter, uh, which is the company that makes the machines, has a whole bunch of YouTube videos um, that show you how to troubleshoot. And our distributor in Australia also has a 24-hour helpline, so you can get on the phone to them and they'll troubleshoot with you over the phone. And if I can't fix it myself through that, then I'll call someone out to fix it. Okay. And then as far as, you know, unlocking and locking the door, like do you have to show up at 7 a.m. or whenever it opens in the morning and, and you know, we're open for business and then I just do that on my way to work? Or is it like this maybe an automated way to unlock and say we're open? Uh, I think the previous owner would have had to do that and I feel very sorry for him. The lock is on an ele- uh, electronic mechanism that engages when the electricity's on and disengages when the electricity's off. And then I've plugged that into a Wi-Fi PowerPoint or an app controlled PowerPoint. So that's on a timer. Okay. So, you know, it opens at closing time. Does it ever like lock anybody in there at closing time? <laughs> so you can't get locked in. The way that the lock works is uh, the lock engages on the outside, but if you're in the store, you can still turn the knob to get out. And then you've got the cameras going to see like if anybody is vandalizing your place. So it just seems like, well, it's very trusting to like just, oh, we're open for business. Nobody's here, but you can come on in. Yeah, that, that, that that's essentially it. We've also got alarms set up. So if people try to tamper with the coin box, even though there's barely anything in it, and the, uh, or try and get out the back or, or whatever, there is like alarms set up. So that if people try to break in, that'll go off and let us know, let the police know. But by and large, it's it's a community space that people really respect. Yeah, that's true. It's become, uh, by going cashless, it becomes less of an attractive target. Well, there's not a ton of money sitting here anyways. Yeah, yeah. About 70 to 80% of our payments are, are made on card. That was us in Japan. It was probably the last automated laundromat that we went to several years ago when our, our oldest was like three months old. That we went to this automated laundromat is probably the first time experience in something like that yeah just nobody nobody works here just you go in you do your thing and you and you go out and it works and it was like oh this is kind of cool 
and maybe think of, well, who, who's, who's owning this place, right? They got the passive income dream right now, and the machines are doing the work for them. If you're scrambling to get your books in order, and you may be thinking, never again, this is the year I finally get organized, I want to invite you to check out our sponsor, FreshBooks.com, which helps you track income and expenses throughout the year. That gives you a real-time dashboard of your profitability, and it makes your taxes a breeze. Here's FreshBooks founder and CEO, Mike McDermott, on what FreshBooks does and who it's for. Ridiculously easy to use invoicing and accounting software that's in the cloud so you can access it on any device. As I like to say, if you invoice, you need FreshBooks. We don't do retail. We don't do restaurants. We're just built for people who who send invoices, get paid for their time and expertise. And we serve people with no employees up to people with a lot of employees. Side Hustle Show listeners can try FreshBooks free for 30 days at freshbooks.com slash side hustle. That's freshbooks.com slash side hustle to test it out for free. No catch and no credit card required. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over 3.5 million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What does it look like? Talk to me about the the online presence that you build, because I know there's a big component of spreading the marketing awareness of the location. You know, talk to me beyond just the website and the branding that has gone into that, but like the, you know, anything local SEO wise, I'd love to spend some time on that. Yeah. So the, the principle for any real local service is that you want to show up when people are Googling your service. So laundromat near me, laundromat Northgate, those are the key, the keywords that I've been really trying to target through through paid Google at the start and then our SEO uh, more recently. In February, we had a dedicated SEO strategy that we commenced and it almost instantly saw hockey stick growth for our business. So I think by the end of February, we were second on Google and you know into the map pack and then we started looking at getting reviews and all the kind of best practice SEO things around uh, utilizing my Google business profile and just building backlinks making sure that the landing pages are all set up to target the right keywords and it took a couple of months but the the keyword that we were really trying to rank for was laundromat northgate we would say that the strategy was complete when we're ranking number one for laundromat Northcote because there's about six laundromats in Northcote and we wanted to be number one. Uh, and that happened in September, so like last month. Oh, great. The month before. The climb 
to the top has worked. Well, let's dive into this. Uh, so three segments, the paid search to start, the SEO, the, and getting reviews. Talk to me about the, the paid search. So just targeting that same keyword or variations of it, I'm assuming, and just trying to, yeah, I mean, that's fantastic being able to jump the line, so to speak, to say, hey, we are what you're looking for. Yeah, for sure. Almost all the people I speak to in the store, you know, ask them, how'd you find out about us? Most will say Google and the ones that don't say that they live like two streets down. So it definitely has helped paid Google ads, especially because we had just created the website. So we didn't have any domain authority. We didn't have any data running through the ads. Uh, we really needed that that boost to get to the top. We didn't have any reviews either. That was really important. I think over the long term though, I found that Paid Google is really effective for pickup and delivery. So we have a boutique pickup and delivery commercial laundry service. And that was really good for generating leads for that service. Like on the paid search, you just send people to the, assuming it's a consumer looking for laundry service, like are you sending them to the, just the homepage or are you sending them to like a new customer special offer page or, you know, anything more granular than that? Just a landing page about the service. So we didn't have any particular offers or anything like that. We were just saying, hey, we're a commercial laundry service. These are our rates. These are the type of clients that we work with. And yeah, we're generating really like strong leads almost right off the bat. Like I said, we're a boutique service. The reason that I run a commercial laundry service is so that I can do that while I clean the store. I choose to clean the store. I haven't offloaded every part of the service because I wanted to keep my margins fairly strong and I live nearby and cleaning doesn't take long. Okay. And so while you're in there, you're adding these larger commercial loads to the machines as they're available? Yeah. So I'll you know, do towels for a, an osteo, a local osteo. And while I'm sweeping and mopping and wiping down the, the machines, I've also got a load of towels in one of the machines and move them over to the dryers. And by the time they're finished in the dryers, I've finished mopping and, and all the chores I need to do at the laundromat and I can head home. So this was another lever that you were able to pull instead of just going business to consumer, you know, targeting, you know, individuals and families like needing their laundry done saying, Oh, we can target business customers for higher volume, higher ticket, or maybe more consistent things. You're like, we're going to have towels this week. We're going to have towels next week. Like that makes uh, a lot of sense. And that's something that, you know, a lot of businesses can think about whether it's a laundromat or anything else. It's like, okay, well, who's the, you know, who are the whales of the customers? Like who are the bigger, bigger fish to go after? It sounds like these more commercial accounts was one of these elements that allowed you to increase the revenue. For sure. And it also meant that I could be disciplined in having to clean the place because the cleaning bill would have been somewhere between seven and $10,000 out of my pocket. Instead, I'm cleaning, keeping that money in my pocket, and I'm also generating an extra, you know, $25,000 a year from washing these people's towels. Gotcha. Yeah. Cause I would, you'd have to hire somebody to take on that work if it wasn't, if it wasn't you. Yep. Do you have an estimate of the hours that you're putting into it on that, on that physical labor side rather than the, you know, puppet master digital marketer side? Uh, about five hours a week ish. Okay, that's not bad. Five to seven to keep the place clean and, and pick up all and drop off all the laundry. Yeah, for something that is now in the 
what, 12 to 15,000 a month range revenue wise? The whole business. Oh, overall, it's like $3,000 a week. Okay. So that was uh, the paid search, the SEO. So, you know, building out the website, creating the content for that local targeted keyword. Anything else that you had to do, like local citations, are those still a thing? Like trying to add to add your business to other directories and point back to the website? Yeah, I, that that's how I started. I'm not an SEO expert by any means, but I knew that high domain authority backlinks is where we need to start. Uh, so a lot of directories, a lot of looking for local uh, opportunities. So local council have a business directory and um, that was where I started. Uh, but I reached out to a third party who knew what they were doing. So I've got an agency that I work with and they're every month putting in 15 hours uh, to strengthen our web presence, concentrating on really particular keywords. Okay. And then on the review side, talk to me about how you've been collecting customer reviews for, for Google and if you're focusing on any other sites there or it's primarily uh, Google My Business. Yeah, primarily Google My Business. The way that we started was obviously reaching out to family and friends and, hey, I bought a laundromat, come and do your washing and then review our service, please. Yeah. From there, the added benefit of cleaning the laundromat or being present at the laundromat uh, is you get to meet and talk to customers. So every time you meet someone, you, know, you learn a little bit more about their journey. And you know, I've been going to this laundromat for five years and you know, I really love what you're doing with the place. It's great that you've got card now. It's so much cleaner than it used to be. You're like, hey, can you let pe- people know about it? Can you leave a review? And that really helped. I think for the first kind of you know, five to six months, that was it was me asking people you know, can you, can you do a review? I remember once talking to someone who that driven about five kilometers to, to get to our laundromat and we're in the inner city of Melbourne, you know, 6 million people, you know, live in, in this city. So they would have had to pass at least like three or four laundromats to get to ours. And they came because of the reviews. And I'm like, well, could you guys leave one too? Because it'll help other people find us. Yeah, I'm looking at Google, at least at press time here, 68 reviews, 4.9 stars. People love this place. Yeah, one um, one one-star review from someone who was bitter, and I reckon that's more. They don't like me. <laughs> they don't like the laundromat. They're ruining your perfect five-star rating. Yeah. I think the, uh, the other really exciting thing is that more recently I've started to get organic five-star reviews. So especially in the last week, I think we've had two come in that I don't remember talking to the person or asking them to do a review, but they left a five-star review and spoke about how they really like the space, they like the music that we play, uh, they've been coming for a long time. It's it's really cool. Yeah, that's fun. And I mean, it's like, hey, you're waiting for your clothes to dry anyway. Here, you can do it right on your phone if you're striking up that conversation in there. It's a relatively easy ask if somebody is happy with the service. For sure. Uh, and if you put in the effort, I suppose every industry is different. But if you look at the map pack for us, there's, you know, the, the other people in the map pack, the closest number of reviews to us is about 28. So I think we're 40 ahead of our next closest. Nice. Don't underestimate the power of those reviews just in like social proof to make it a no brainer decision for anybody searching. Just like, well, clearly these are the ones. You got to go with because you know they're just head and shoulders above everybody else. The other benefit about reviews as well that a lot of people don't 
recognize is that they are an awesome place to stuff your website with keywords. So when people review you on Google My Business, they'll put the word laundromat, laundry, uh, coin laundry in their review. And if they don't necessarily include the right keywords that you want, you have the right to reply to all of those reviews. So you can start to add keywords in your reply. Oh, okay. Yeah, thanks so much for stopping by our North Coast laundromat, uh, just to make sure that it's in there each and every time. Yeah. The pictures on the Google profile, are those ones that you've added or these are ones that customers have put in? Uh, it's two or three of them are ones that I've added and some are ones that customers have added. One of the marketing tips that was shared on the show recently was treating that Google My Business profile almost like you would social media and trying to post constant updates, like several times a week in some cases to you know feed that algorithm with more data and more just more to chew on. And Google was rewarding the businesses that were doing that. Have you played around with that at all or seen any impact from it? We did start. I mean, there's only so many photos of an unattended laundromat that <laughs> you can take. It's not like we're at the store washing clothes and, and we can do fun things. I have more recently made some sort of how-to videos, which we're planning on putting on on there. I, I suppose from a picture point of view, what I did notice when we added pictures that was our views went up. We had a lot more views on our Google business profile, but I didn't necessarily see too much of an uptake in people asking for directions or or revenue or things like that. Yeah, that's something that personally when I'm looking for you know a new place to go, especially with the kids, like I want to look at the pictures and see like trying to figure out, okay, where where am I supposed to go? How is this going to work once I get there? Trying to like, you know, almost do a pre a pre-visit walkthrough without having to go uh, make the trip. Yeah. Yeah, I think you've got to make things, especially if there's an unattended, you have to make it as easy as possible for people. Because as much as like when, once you've set up your store, as much as you know how things work, you built it or you're there all the time. So you've got to assume that people don't know it's their first time. They don't know how to pay by card. They don't know that you have to go to the kiosk at the back of the store and hit wash, then you know pay and load up your machine. You need you need to provide as much sort of visual prompt or information for people to do that as possible. So Google My Business Profile is a great place to have a video uh, if that's where people are finding you to to show them how to use the washing machines and dryers or pay by card. Yeah, here's how it works. Here's how uh, you know make it make it dummy proof in that way. Yeah. So you're a year and a half into being a side hustling laundromat owner. What's surprised you the most over that time? Whoa. Uh, I think the thing that surprised me the most was how much infrastructure or how important infrastructure is to a laundromat business in particular. The building that I'm in, it was super old. So every time that I wanted to do something like adding a, adding a new machine or moving stuff around, we would run into issues where I didn't have the right type of PowerPoint for a bigger machine because it was this was built, you know, 50 years ago and the power requirements for machines back then were way less. Uh, so those are like some little things that, that kind of shocked me. And obviously I'm not a tradie, so I don't know much about, you know, electricity requirements or 
things like that. But outside of that, I think the thing that really shocked me was just how much of an impact having a web, a strong web presence and how low the bar to success is to run a really successful laundromat or the expectation of customers. Yeah, that's a really interesting one to see, you know, of all the different levers that you can pull. And if you're shopping businesses or even working on your own side hustle, like just checking some of these boxes that other businesses may have overlooked. It's like, oh, you know, it's 2022. It's almost 2023. Like having a even a basic brochure style website is pretty easy to go and do. And, you know, I'm trying to make it, you know, re- almost reverse engineer. Well, how are people going to find this? Unless they live two blocks away, like the guy you mentioned, you know, they're going to, you know, probably find it through Google. So having a uh, having a presence there, going after these commercial accounts, you know, trying to go for bigger ticket sales rather than, you know, one-off washes. I think that makes a lot of sense, even if it does take up some time initially and maybe down the road you hire that out. What's next for you? Are you going to build an empire of these things, uh, you know, a Melbourne-wide domination, Australia-wide domination? What's next for uh, for Nina's? I think so. I think the goal will be to buy another laundromat in the next sort of 12 to 18 months. I'm not in a rush, but if the right deal came across the the, the table and I could find one that you know, met that criteria that I was talking about before, similar to what Nina's has set up, I think that that's the logical next step. Yeah. You've got, uh, you've got yourself nine years left on your timeline to hit your goal. Um, I think you've got uh, plenty of leeway to get that done. Is there a, a point where you see revenue-wise this becomes a full-time thing and you uh, call it quits at the day job? I've done some paper maths and I think that four would be the right number of laundromats where that could be my full-time job comfortably. In saying that though, I work for a really great company at the moment that has you know, amazing opportunities and, and really supports the growth of their team and outside interests from work. Yeah. So I don't think I'll be quitting my day job anytime soon. All good. No pressure on that front. If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. I was going to ask, is there a way that you think about or target the profitability on a per wash basis or per even per like per month? Like if I take in $5 worth of, you know, washing credits and after my utilities and machine, you know, costs, like is, I hope to have $3 left over or something like that. Not necessarily like that, but in terms of making decisions around how to improve the business or how to what to invest in next, i.e. buying bigger machines or getting solar power, starting a commercial. 
uh, service. Preface around that is the I want the business to maximize the amount of money each customer spends per visit. So if I'm investing in something, we put it through that litmus test. Is that going to help us increase the average spend per customer per visit? And that's how I can sort of gauge whether that's something I can do now or something I sort of wait on. And I'll give you an example. We bought a vending machine almost straight away after buying the store. And the reason that we got the vending machine is because people forget their laundry detergent and we can have laundry detergent for sale at a significant markup that people need out of convenience. So by doing that, we can increase the spend per customer per visit. Then in that vending machine, it's got other places, so we add snacks. So now people are are paying for a wash, a dry, a laundry detergent, and a can of Coke. Then what PayPass also enabled us to do was to program the machine to have uh, multiple vend prices. So rather than just having one type of wash on the washing machine, uh, we now have an express wash, which is the regular everyday wash, and a super wash, which is an extra couple of minutes on the cycle. Again, just another opportunity to increase the customer spend per visit. Oh, okay. Yeah, super common when I go through like the drive-through car wash. It's like, you know, good, better, best. And they all have clever names like, you know, ultimate supreme. And it comes with this, this, you know, it's an extra thing. And basically you're sitting in the machine longer. They put some clear coat wax on you. I don't know what they do, but, but similar, like you're giving, um, you know, adding a higher ticket menu offering, like it kind of anchors the price there. It's like, well, okay, you know, I could just do express today, but oh, my clothes are really dirty. I want the, you know, the full meal deal. Yeah, uh, on, the, on the dryer side as well, so the dryers are $1 for seven minutes. If you're paying by coins, you're physically adding a dollar and you might get to $4 and be like, I need this extra dollar, I'm going to keep it. Whereas with the pay pass, it starts at five and then you can move up or down. So for the lazy person or the, for most people in a, in a rush, they just tap the thing, hit dryer, hit five. Yeah, five sounds about right. Hit go. Yeah, 35 minutes worth of dry time. Okay. So the the average spend for a customer is more on uh, when they're paying by card because the start price is five, not one. Okay. Isn't that cool? I don't know. It's like you're playing Puppet Master in a way of like, oh, you know, what are the different levers that we can pull to increase the value of this asset that we already have? And, you know, versus trying to get something off the ground, it's like, you know, there's already... Like you can almost already A-B test, like if you had a website, you know, already got traffic flowing through it. You know, what if we tweak this variable or what if we added this little thing and you kind of see the, almost immediately the impact that it has. So very exciting stuff. And, and John, I appreciate you sharing the ins and outs from it. Again, it's Nina's Laundrette. We'll link up that uh, website if you want to go check it out in the show notes. Any other place where people should go to learn more about you, what you do? If people want to get in touch, uh, I have a LinkedIn page. I'm sure that'll be in the show notes as well. Otherwise, they can reach out to me directly on the Nina's Laundrette website. You got it. We're happy to link that up. Uh, Jono, appreciate you joining me. Let's wrap this thing up with your number one tip for Side Hustle Nation. does not have to be laundromat related, just whatever entrepreneurial wisdom that you'd like to impart. Yeah, get a Audible subscription and listen to audiobooks about business and emotional intelligence. All right, there you go. Well, very good. Uh, Once again, thanks for joining me and we'll catch up with you soon. 
All right. Even if you're not interested in buying a laundromat, you got some takeaways to work with here. First, I love the idea of setting a target date by which you're going to make work optional and then really reverse engineering a plan to get there. In Jono's case, that was, hey, by the time I'm 40, I want to be in charge of how much of my time I sell to somebody else. And in his case, that looked like going out and buying some cash flow. That's the line from Ace Chapman on the podcast years ago. That's always stood out to me. When I need money, I go buy it. Yes, in this case, there's time involved. There's some upfront investment involved, five to seven hours a week, like Jono described, in the business versus working on the business. So it's not totally passive, but it is quite leveraged. And it sounds like uh, by being there in person, by being in the laundromat in person, that's developed some positive customer experiences that's helped drive some online reviews, which turns into this virtuous cycle of new customers coming in and using the laundromat for the first time. It makes me think of what other types of businesses might be similarly time leveraged or self-service or automated. Obviously, rental real estate checks that box for a lot of people, although your cash on cash returns might not be as exciting, uh, especially with the cost of debt increasing in the last six to 12 months. And in part, because you may not be able to apply the same kind of so-called forced appreciation that Jono's done here by improving the cash flow operations and profitability to the same extent. Personally, I'm partial to online businesses, but there's a certain skill set and learning curve involved there. Self-storage might be an option, There's, uh, which is certainly having a moment on Twitter, championed by uh, Nick Huber and others. An automated car wash, an ice vending machine, a video game machine, an ATM business, a billboard business. There are a few out there that may be similarly low maintenance, at least uh, you know, from my perspective, from the outside looking in. Second thing, whether you're looking to buy a business or improve one you're already working on, is looking for the simple little tweaks that you can make to eke out more profit. This is one of the most exciting parts of running a business for me, finding those little ideas, those little wins that earn an extra 500 bucks or a thousand bucks, you know, to the bottom line. Maybe it's a new partnership. Maybe it's a, a subtle change to your email sequence. Maybe it's an improvement to your SEO. It's a new product upsell, all that stuff is really cool. And I'd like that to be your homework from today's episode to think of just one incremental improvement or inexpensive split test that you can make to your business to apply some of Jono's thinking to. How can you earn more from the traffic or customers you already have? Or what simple changes can you make to attract more customers? And then finally, if you're looking to acquire a business, looking for something that has opportunity for improvement that's suited to your skills. It doesn't sound like Nina's, like the laundromat, was necessarily a fixer-upper project, so to speak, but just that there was opportunity to modernize the customer experience and especially the online presence. That made it fairly valued in the marketplace as a static asset, as a snapshot of what it was historically earning, but undervalued to Jono and his experience and skill set. So if I'm out there shopping for cash flow in the form of an existing business, that's what I'm looking for. The type of business that is foundationally solid, but has some you know, proverbial low-hanging fruits that I'm confident I can implement to uh, to add to the bottom line. So in John in Jono's case, not only has he tripled the monthly income from the business, he's also tripled the value of that asset should he turn around and sell it. And to me, that's exciting, this combination of cash flow plus equity. 
If you want to go deeper down the laundromat rabbit hole, check out episode 433 with Jordan Berry. Jordan hosts the Laundromat Resource Podcast. He stopped by to share 10 reasons why a laundromat ought to be on your short list of side hustle ideas. Retirement is one of the big reasons people get out, which I think is probably a good sign for the industry. You know, because once people are in, if you're spending five, maybe 10, I mean, at that point, you're probably not spending 10, but, you know, five or 10 hours a week, you know, and you're cash flowing enough to sustain you, that's pretty tough to give up. Um, so retirement is one of the big reasons. There are other reasons also, but I always encourage people, if you're interested in buying a laundromat, start stopping in to laundromats and talking to owners and asking them if they're willing to sell. Um, I've definitely had deals come across my desk that way, just from stopping in and talking to laundromat owners. Also direct mail campaigns, similar to real estate. You can find laundromats for sale that way too. There's a host of reasons people might want to get out. And so if you catch them at the right time, you could find yourself a good deal. Again, that's episode 433. If you scroll down in your podcast app, you'll be able to add that one to your playlist. And then on the virtues of buying a business in general, I think you'll enjoy the friendly debate style episode we had between uh, Coach Chad Carson and Cody Sanchez with Chad arguing on behalf of investing in real estate and Cody making the case for investing in a small business. And so the SMB space, the small and medium business space is something that I've been really interested in for, I started investing in this space probably 10 years ago and did some early deals with partners. But the part that I find fascinating is these are businesses that do $5 million or less in revenue. They're the businesses that all of us use every day. The cleaning service that comes to your house, the landscaping service that does your yard, the accounting professional that you utilize, the plumber that you have to call when stuff's broken, the laundromat or the HVAC company that comes and fixes your air conditioning. So we have owned or do own pretty much all those types of businesses, totally different sectors and niches. And what I like about them is... This model of investing and buying boring businesses has existed forever. It's called private equity. The difference is that these big, huge firms like Blackstone, Carlyle, KKR, they went out and used OPM, other people's money, to buy these businesses with bank loans, leverage, debt, right? And it is just like when you purchase a house, right? Nobody really... I mean, people buy cash buy houses with cash, but usually refinances into a mortgage. That's what you do with small and medium businesses. So you use something called the SBA loan. So, you know, SBA is just a government allowed loan to buy a majority of a small business up to 90%. So you only have to put 10% down, very similar to a mortgage, except the terms are usually anywhere from five to seven to 10 years. And usually my deals, I can pay off the whole business within three to five years. So at the end of three to five years, I own the business outright and have a cash flowing asset. Maybe sounds a little intimidating, but I keep trying to push on people. In my opinion, doing a startup is really hard. doesn't always work. And so if you could buy profit from day one, I think it's interesting. That one is episode 460. You can find that in your podcast player app of choice. Big thanks to Jono for stopping by and sharing his insight. Thanks to FreshBooks for sponsoring this week. Go ahead and start your 30-day free trial of the number one invoicing and accounting solution for freelancers and service providers everywhere at freshbooks.com slash side hustle. That is it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you're finding value in the show, the greatest compliment is to share it with a friend. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen, and I'll catch you in the next edition of The Side Hustle Show. Hustle on.